There's plenty of uncertainty in the world right now, but slowly optimism is returning. We may have a battered economy and lots of people out of work, but for impact investors, that's an opportunity. It's a chance for new businesses to blossom and to build back better. And with excellent timing, the Responsible Investment Association of Australasia, aka RIA, have just released their benchmarking impact report for 2020. So I've managed to wrangle the CEO, Simon O'Connor, to come back on the show and tell us all about it. The report captures the full spectrum of work being done on impact investing in Australia. It looks backwards to gauge performance as well as forwards to lay out expectations of the country's most progressive investors. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big questions about the future of sustainable business, the new economy, and how your spending and investment decisions can have an impact. Simon's no stranger to the podcast. He's been on before discussing his role as co-chair of the Australia Sustainable Finance Initiative, and he was very generous to jump on without much notice. So let's get into it. All the show notes are on my website at johntreadgold.com. And that's where you'll find links to RIA and the report. All right, here's my conversation with Simon O'Connor. Here we go. Simon, thank you for coming back on the show. It's great to have you once again. And as usual, it's at very short notice. Pleased to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. How have you and the team found working from home and, and life in isolation for the last couple of months? We've all switched gears pretty quickly. We are a team that works across Australia and New Zealand, and so we're kind of used to remotely connecting. But yeah, it's meant, as it has for all of us, a real shift in how we, how we work, but more importantly, how we operate as a, as a membership group whose job is to convene our members to bring together important conversations to shift and shape a market. It means we've really had to adjust to that. And so as a result, we're just running multiple virtual sessions through, uh, you know, spending hours on Zoom, of course, webinars and things like that, which I think has really enabled us to continue to hold those really important conversations at a time where they're really more important than ever as we navigate this pandemic and move into that recovery phase from the pandemic too. So, so it's been a pretty smooth adjustment, I think, and we're managing to track on pretty strongly. Well, that's it. There has been a welcome push for, for investors and businesses to, I think the, the term is build back better, you know, driving a green recovery. How are you seeing that trend? I'm observing that on a global basis has been really strong. And I think it's really encouraging that at the very core of even what central bankers are talking about globally is the need to deal with the climate crisis whilst dealing with the pandemic crisis. I'm seeing that really strongly in New Zealand as well and really strong voices from reserve banks, from investors, from business. I'm seeing a bit more of a mixed bag in the Australian context where there's some strong investor voices and increasingly some strong business voices and yet it does seem the politics of it are playing out in a little bit of a concerning way where we're still focused on old methods of generating economic activity, old methods of how we build shovel-ready projects to stimulate an economy and some old methods as to how we're going to deal with accelerating and, and stimulating business. So we're really trying to push that and focus really strongly on the advantages of dealing with the economic stimulus that creates decent jobs and meaningful work whilst also dealing with climate crisis. And what, what's encouraging is that the best research globally, and this is some that's come out of Oxford and some central bankers involved there, including some Nobel laureates, 
has been that the best, most effective economic stimulus policy levers that governments have at hand are the ones that deal with emissions reductions whilst dealing with jobs and productivity and economic activity. So we're really trying to push that, that this is a more prudent way to respond to the crisis is to deal with the, the economics and the climate at once. We're confident we've got a pretty strong support from that across financial services, from across a bit of a large amount of business, um, but we're going to need to continue to prosecute that pretty hard over the coming months, I think, in Australia. Well, that's right. And that leads us into what we're here to talk about today, which is RIA's benchmarking impact report for 2020. It talks all about all of those issues. Now, the report was launched yesterday, chock full of data about the state of impact investing in Australia and in the world. There's lots of good comparisons there. And, you know, keen to dig into the details. There's, there's two reports, two parts to the report. There's the 2020 impact survey featuring 125 investors. And then there's the activity and performance report, slightly different because that's made up of, of investment products, so 117 different investment products. So to get us started, how do those two fit together? Well, I think one of them looks backwards, one of them looks forwards. One of them's telling us, you know, state of the industry as at now or as at a couple of months ago, as at end of 2019. And that's really important to say, well, where is the money flowing in impact investing? What are the products? What are the types of assets? What's the types of impacts? And so that's that's great. And we've ascertained that there's been really strong growth over the last couple of years, reaching $20 billion as at the end of 2019. And that's that's really a substantial jump on previous years and exponential growth we're really talking about there where it feels like the industry is taking off and accelerating rapidly. The other part is really a forward-looking survey. Where can we be going? Where might this take us? What is the appetite and demand from financial services sector out there to be putting more money towards impactful investments? And what we see there is there's a really strong appetite to increase the allocation to impact investing such that we're, t- we're looking at a potential five-fold increase over the next five years where there's you know really $100 billion sitting there saying we would like to be allocating this to impact within the next five years. And so that kind of gives us a sense of well, who's interested, who's dipping their toe in the water, who would like to be doing more in this space and really should be useful in creating, the, I guess, the roadmap for developing this market for bringing the right kinds of products to market, for connecting the right types of investors. And so kind of gives us both those perspectives and gives us a really good plan as to what we need to do to build this out going forward. Well, that's in the world of investing, you know, being able to look forward and and estimate, you know, these trends and and what people's expectations and what they're looking for is really the, you know, that's the key. If if you can have those uh, insights, then then you can invest based on it. And, And it really does seem clear. I mean, the thing that stood out for me was that, this space is growing and that it's not slowing down. You know, that should give a lot of energy. We've seen that in the past. And then we see now that that's not going to slow down going forward. And we'll get into some detail today. But are there any sort of on a more macro perspective, any key trends that you took away from it that, you know, after spending months, I can imagine working on this, that really stuck in your mind that you wanted to sort of get out to people? A couple of things. I think we're moving from a phase of the market's development where this is something that has been pioneered and tested by people in the private wealth space, by high net wealth individuals, by family offices, by charities and foundations. And we're rapidly moving into a space where this is becoming an institutional investment conversation. And I think that's a really that's really evident in the data and that's really evident in our day-to-day interactions with the market where all of a sudden we have the biggest banks, the biggest insurers, the biggest super funds, the biggest fund managers all moving in to play a 
key part in the development of this market and wanting to allocate capital to this market. And I think that's we've kind of hit that really critical turning point where it's moving out of what Michael Trail in the foreword of this report calls from a cottage industry stage into a more sophisticated market. And I think we're at the early stages of that sophisticated market. And yet I think we're over an important hump in heading in that direction. So that was sort of what stood out for me is it's a really key turning point. And that does roll into a line that I really liked. And that was that investor activity is broadening and deepening. You know, I think that gives a visual idea of how, how that's operating. And that's what you were talking about with, you know, institutional investors getting involved and it becoming more professionalized. And that's something that people have been discussing, trying to find ways to scale and to grow. And we're getting there and it's happening. So have there been growing pains? You know, is there a risk of impact being diluted? You know, and, and I guess the question is, you know, how, how have we achieved it? Um, how have we managed to maintain the positive outcomes on the ground despite such rapid growth? Yeah, well, I think that's a really important conversation to unpack here because I think we often are really attracted to growing the dollars, you know, and being able to, it's nice to go out with a media release saying you've exponentially grown or you've got five times potential growth or you've tripled the growth in AUM. But I think it kind of masks what we're, what we're trying to do here because, in fact, some of the most impactful investments uh, are small from a dollar's value but have huge impacts and, and really meaningful impacts on people's lives uh, versus others that are really important, really big scale, but may have less of a direct impact on people's lives or have a different kind of impact. So it's one of those markets that quite interesting is we need to be able to grow the impact and the outcomes of what's actually being changed as well as the dollars flowing into this market. I mean, I, I have a view that we need both of those. I'm not fearful of a dilution because of big institutional players coming into this market. I think we need to ensure and underscore the importance of credibility in the how we measure things, how we report things and how we report back to our um, investors, underlying investors. But I think there is room and a lot of room for a lot more of the capital markets out there to be targeting, creating positive impacts across environmental and social outcomes. And so, but yeah, I mean, when you just drill it down to a top line level, it kind of masks so much that's going on. And when you look across this report, you've got things in venture capital space, you've got large infrastructure, you've got, you know, banking products, you've got uh, social impact bonds, you've got um, just such an array of different types of investments across asset class, different types of impacts across what we talk about the outcome areas. So it's a, hugely diverse set of deals and products and investments that sit under this 20 billion sum. And so hence, many of us in this broader impact investing community are sort of working on lots of different elements of it. And, and hence why it's such a big chunky report in that way, because there's a lot to unpack at very different levels and very diverse types of impact and products. Well, that's it. You guys have done so well to bring it all together. And, and I think uh, you know, there were a couple of questions when I, I put a shout out on LinkedIn this week. Uh, you know, the questions were really focused on that measurement issue. And Kevin Robbie and Max Lynham wanting to know about whether now is the time to put more effort into understanding impact outcomes on the ground and how this can be compared across a portfolio. But I think that comes back to, you know, I think you summed it up really well just there talking about how on the one hand, you have this top line figure of 20 billion, but then under that is so many different strategies, so much different 
impact across so many different beneficiaries. Pretty much every podcast episode I've had with an impact investor, we've, we've mulled how we can manage impact measurement and better integrated it to have comparability across a portfolio and across projects. So here we are at the start of 2020. What's the progress that has been made there? Oh, look, I think it's, it's encouraging and there's lots of work to be done. The biggest risk I see here is that we sit and wait and undertake a detailed theoretical exercise until we've got the standards and the frameworks that are perfect and precise for every single potential social impact and environmental impact we could ever create. That's going to take a long time. And so what we see pleasingly is there's something of a convergence around some key frameworks and some key standards around um, measuring impacts and measuring against particular frameworks. And I think that's really helpful that we're seeing that convergence. So, you know, I would say a lot of people are increasingly relying on the impact management project as a high overarching framework. I would say we're seeing increasingly a lot of reporting against the SDGs as a consistent sort of benchmark that people are contributing to. And so I think that's really helpful. But I do, when I look across again, the types of products and types of investments, necessarily there's going to be so much difference in what's reported and how. I think the core principles that underscore all this remain really important, and that is that impact investors are setting out to achieve some good in a particular area. That's the you know, intentionality and that they are bringing more capital to a problem area than would otherwise have gone there. And that's, you know, your additionality. And I think, and then the really clear quantification of those outcomes, I think is, remains really key. And so that's really underscored what we've included in this report and has allowed us, interestingly, to start looking a bit more broadly at the kind of investments that might uh, fit in this broader impact investing universe, I guess. And you'll see in this report for the first time, we've included a couple of public equities funds, listed equities funds. That's the first time we brought that into the impact investing benchmark report. And it's because we see that even in the listed equity space, there are, well, we know there's lots of products out there that are shaping themselves up as impact investment products, but we've seen some of them that are really, really meeting those principles that I spoke to. And so we wanted to include that and say, hey, there's a lot of opportunity across a lot of different asset classes here. So I think overall to your question, it's pleasing to see that we're making really strong headway. There's a lot of really detailed work coming through on standards and frameworks. It's really important work and we support it and encourage it and it's much of what our communities of practice within RIA are working on. But I would not want that to be holding down the progress and evolution with the old adage being, you know, making perfect the enemy of the good. I think we can still make a lot of progress as we continue to work on those standards. That's right. And you did mention public equities, which is you know, commonly debated. And, and I think the, the inclusions that you do have, Web and Inspire, are two fund managers that really have put a lot of thought into the construction of their strategies. There are far more strategies that use the word impact that you could have included. But these two have gone the extra mile to be really clear about how they're measuring impact through their inclusion of, of these big public companies where, you know, they're their share weight probably won't hold um, a huge sway within the company, but there are other ways to measure impact and have influence. And I think that's a really important debate to have because that's really vital that we can't really have this sector go anywhere if we can't find a way to influence these huge companies. So how are you feeling about the views from the industry on the ground about bringing in the might of the public markets into the impact world? So we've been watching this obviously for a long time and we see a lot of really good products in the listed equity space around what we would more traditionally 
talk about as sustainability themed or thematic funds. And there's some brilliant products out there in the listed equity space that are really targeting more sustainable companies, certain sectors, um, lower carbon, green property, agriculture, water. And so we really want to celebrate that part of the market as well. What's really interesting to see is that some of these funds are starting to really stack up from a more stricter impact investing definition perspective. And I think we'll see more coming in there. What's really challenging is where we draw that line. And so we've been quite clear on what the sort of definitions are and it's the same set of principles, in fact, as to where we've drawn that. I think it's really important from our perspective as RIA, as a market builder, we want to encourage the growth and development of a diverse array of really good quality investment products that enable more Australians and New Zealanders to be able to put their money towards impact investing. If you look at the asset allocation of an average super fund or if, a, if you're lucky enough to be a sophisticated investor, there's going to be a huge allocation to listed equities. And so I think being able to allocate some of that to impact, even in the listed equities asset class, doing more than just you know, negative screening and avoiding a few controversial industries, I think is fantastic. We really want to welcome it, but we're going to keep the bar pretty high and recognise that there's still some really great products that sit just outside of what we'd strictly call impact investment products. So we've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I think we're quite comfortable with where we're drawing that line, and we hope that there will be more because I think it's a great contribution to this space. That's it. That's it. Again, lots of work to be done, but the potential for impact is huge, so, so definitely worth it. And then to diving into a little bit more detail in the numbers because there's lots of them in there and, and we can you know, get a feel for how things are shifting and evolving based on those. And one is that of this $20 billion headline figure, 85% um, are dominated by green, social and sustainability bonds. So a fixed income approach. And you know, this has to do with scale, large scale renewable energy projects lend themselves to, to the size, you know, size in terms of the scale of the project but also to attracting larger investments. So how do you see this, this heavy weighting towards one sector sort of you know, helping or holding back growth? Yeah, look, I think it's, it's a really important part of the market. The larger bond issuances, you know, it's really pleasing to see that going from green bonds into sustainability bonds, SDG-linked bonds, and more recently even some pandemic response bonds. So that's really an important part of bringing in and a a really effective mechanism for bringing in large institutional capital from super funds and the likes because these stack up very well financially plus they're delivering really good measurable outcomes and I think to their credit the Australian banks have been very strong and in fact world leading in terms of the measurement and reporting and accountability against the, the outcomes that they're seeking to achieve and the impact they're seeking to achieve and and it's only by doing that that we include those select bonds that do meet those criteria again. So not all of them are included. So that's an important part of the market's development. What we do see is there's a problem here in that we're still seeing an underrepresentation of impact investments that are targeting social outcomes. And this is, I think, a really key challenge for this market because I think a lot of us are really keen to see that social impact investing side grow and develop and become more sophisticated. And so we you know, are really pleased that now there's the Prime Minister and Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet has a task force set up to do just that, to work out how we encourage the further development of that part of the market. Because I think for many of us, this is where, well, I guess in many ways is where many lives can be really 
impacted and made better um, through some of the great activities that are being invested in through the social impact inside. And so I think it goes a little bit to what I mentioned earlier as well, where there is different depths of impact that can occur and some of them are going to be smaller scale and are going to probably continue to be smaller scale, but having really deep and meaningful impact on people's lives. And so I think we need to encourage both ends of the market to continue to develop. So in a sense, there's a sense that all these figures are really dominated by big issuances of bonds. Um, And from a purely monetary perspective, I think that's right. Um, It does make up a huge portion of it. But I think from the impact perspective, if you look through the outcomes that we, we measure there and report on, you know, a lot of this is coming from smaller scale investments that are really seeking out really deep positive impact within communities, societies around poverty, around mental health, around families, disability, education, many other areas. And I think they're, they're really important that we continue to put the effort into growing that part of the market and not just be sort of distracted from the big numbers that sit around the bonds uh, for us our intentions to work on both ends of the market. We see them both as really important and holding equally important parts of the market's development. For sure. And I mean, that's part of one of the things that I really liked about the report was that it did bring up these challenges that there are. You know, if, if a number lent in a certain way, it was explained that this is actually an opportunity and an opportunity to have greater impact. And it brought up because it was there was a survey element to it and so people were talking about sort of what would make things easier and what are the catalysts for growth so i'll just list a couple that i got from the report so the first one was more investable deals evidence of social impact and evidence of financial performance or a longer track record and i think that's such an important pathway forward it's really clear that these are the issues that people want these are what are being worked on and if we can achieve it, then the growth can happen. And, and I think they are very achievable. How do, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think they are too. I think what I take from that is, you know, that when we ask non-active investors, you know, there's a real interest and an appetite. But I think people want quality. You know, people are coming to this because they want to really achieve something positive socially or environmentally. They're, they're not actually looking for just light touch impact investment. So, so you know, we, they want to see really strong evidence that good stuff is occurring, real measurable outcomes have been achieved. So I think that's really encouraging because what that'll tell the market is, sure, there's massive appetite there, you know, potential to grow five times in the next five years, but don't just bring any dodgy products to market here. Like the market is quite sophisticated and really wanting to achieve strong social or environmental outcomes here. So that's a really good sign to me that we're going to continue to build a really credible market that has really positive impacts. I think on the deal side, yeah, that's that's sort of always been there as a big constraint. You know, give me more deals that fit within my particular asset allocation model or my risk profile. So that's going to continue to be there. I do think probably would hope that we can encourage more investors to be more active on different parts of that risk spectrum. And there was a bit of talk in the in the report around the need for sort of blended capital type structures where there are more people willing to take first loss provisions or even low returns provisions to help crowd in other capital. And so I think we need a more sophisticated discussion as to where people are going to fit on that kind of capital continuum and risk and return continuum. I think on the last one though, which you mentioned, which was the financial performance, you know, what really stood out for me as as very encouraging is when you ask those who have been actively involved in impact investing, 92% of them have said that the financial returns are 
exceeding or meeting financial expectations. And that's really reassuring. And I think it'll be really helpful for us as we want to get the next cohort involved here to say that this is generating good financial returns. This is absolutely um, also generating great social and environmental outcomes. There is very much a win-win here. But, but even more than that, it actually helps to highlight that there is no problem as a fiduciary or a trustee or sitting on an investment committee of a foundation or investment organisation. There is nothing inconsistent here about investing in impact investments and achieving and delivering on your financial returns objectives. So I think that's, that's really encouraging and I think a key piece will help catalyse more activity in this space. Well, that's it. And we were talking about the challenges of measuring impact across a portfolio. You guys have an even more difficult job to, to try and report it over a whole industry. But there are some incredible numbers there. You know, a couple to get us going, you know, abating 5 million tonnes of, of CO2 equivalent, reaching 3 million students and training 179,000 teachers. But the one that got me was creating 530,000 jobs which just blew me away. That's huge. And, and you know, in, when we've got unemployment rising and we're trying to stimulate the economy, it's such a huge opportunity. Totally. The one that stood out for me was investing in over 30,000 houses for socially disadvantaged people or people who are at risk of homelessness. It's huge real impacts occurring there. And, you know, it's the best of the finance sector coming together with the social services sector and coming up with great solutions that can multiply the great impact that's been delivered from much of the social services sector. And I think that's where it's exciting. You know, that's why I think this is really appealing to so many people. It's like, right, if we can do that, we can fix so many problems. So many challenges can be overcome here. So yeah, I, I likewise was quite encouraged. And the other one, I was really interested in some of the reporting against in aggregate form against the SDGs. And when you consider there's nearly half a billion dollars that's gone into reducing inequality, for example, that to me and similarly uh, half a billion dollars going into quality education, you know, there's big sums of money going in to address some of the great social challenges that we need to be addressing. So I think, again, just represents a really good starting point, a really good foundation upon which I think we're ready to really ramp it up and accelerate the uptake now. That's right. And, you know, there's a, an area that's always particularly interested me and that, and that's how Australian impact investors are looking offshore to our neighbours in, in developing countries. I often ask my guests about why we don't see more of it. The Pacific seems to be dominated by investors from the US and Europe. But the report does show that there is interest in areas like the Pacific and that it's growing. 91% of respondents were interested in making investments offshore, that being dominated by Asia, 28%, and the Pacific, 20%. Have you seen much growth there? How's that evolving? I think it's a really interesting space and I think there are some real pioneers who have been leading and pushing to develop this area, this end of the market. And I think it's really important primarily because for us to achieve the SDGs on a global scale, uh, many of these have to be delivered in emerging markets in developing countries. So you've seen some really good early private equity type funds in emerging markets. You've also seen some really interesting approaches through listed equity space in emerging markets that are more in the sustainability theme than the impact. You do see a lot of work even by our Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade in trying to really catalyse private sector investment. So, so there's some early and good early examples of, of activity here. But I think, as you saw there, it's still on the small scale. So there's a great desire 
but making it all stack up and bringing it to investors in the Australian market in a way that meets their, their needs is still a fair bit of work to be done. Well, that's right. And, and most interesting were the, uh, the explanations of the barriers. And I think, again, that's a challenge, but can also be an opportunity. So they were political and regulatory risk, lack of internal expertise in emerging markets, and a lack of liquidity. And, and I mean, they're pretty major challenges, so, it, so it's understandable. But um, yeah, opportunities. Yeah, definitely. And I think we have some of the best talent in the world sitting here in Australia who have tested this, who have demonstrated success in this area. And to name a few names, people like Christian Super have done it for a very, very long time and are seen globally as a leader in this space. And groups like Leapfrog and you know, Christian Super now using that knowledge and insights through through Brightlight to help others. So, And there are no doubt many, many more. So I don't want to discredit the other activity there, but I think we're really fortunate to have some people who have really done some early good work. And I think what's always encouraging to me around impact investing is we have a very strong community who are very supportive and sharing information and knowledge. And so I think that's a great recipe for hastening this area and, and help helping to sort of grow that market more rapidly. So, so we're fortunate from that regard. That's right. It really is an important element to have that, that evolving um, education structure and, and the, the new fuel, the new workers coming through. That leads me to a question about Deakin Business School. So they, uh, maybe you could just talk to us about the role they played in, in pulling the report together. And I'm also interested in how, you know, you're sort of seeing the universities treat this new field. Have the assumptions of Econ 101 shifted? Is business being taught differently? Yeah, we're really pleased to partner with Deakin Business School. I like that this is coming from the business school. <laughs> We've worked with other universities. There's a lot of interest in the university sector in the impact investing space and more broadly in sustainable finance and responsible investing. So we're fortunate to have Fabian Michaud lead the project from Deakin, who has a lot of international experience in this area and previous experience and sits on the Australian Advisory Board. And But yeah, I mean, I think it fits in a broader conversation around the importance of broadening our ideas around what capitalism really is and ought to be and this broader notion of a stakeholder capitalism rather than just a shareholder capitalism and indeed the sort of questions around the purpose of business and purpose of our economy. And so I I think it fits in a much broader discussion and evolution that's occurring and this can really be helped by academics and by the university sector because um, it's a longer-term shift that we're seeing that has really been picked up and signified by movements such as the impact investment um, sector. There's a lot of activity in this space through the university sector and I think it's really helpful to us, particularly just because they can really get into the granularity of the surveys, do some really good analysis and bring that broader view from an academic kind of lens to a report like this that is really technical and really analytical and really data intensive. And so that was really a a really useful partnership for us to be working with Deakin and Fab. Well, that's right. And they're the leaders of tomorrow. So it's great that they're at the helm, pulling the data together and they're learning from industry. And, and, and I know from my time at university, you know, that's always the best outcomes is when you do have that, that linkage with industry to really, yeah, help and, and drive it forward. So that's good stuff. Well, look, Simon, uh, we only organised a couple of days ago. I really appreciate you giving me some time to run through the report. I would push everyone to download it from the RIA website, have a read. There's a lot of discussion going on on my LinkedIn page at the moment after I posted some of the data yesterday. So happy to continue that conversation. And, and I think, yeah, I hope people 
have got a lot out of this chat today and just sort of downloading the report in a different format. Great, John. I really appreciate the chance to chat with you about the report and, um, you know, hope it really does spur on a lot more activity. For me, it's just so important in this context of COVID and our recovery from COVID that what we're talking about here is exactly the kinds of activity we're going to need more of. We're going to need all the financial services sector to help us rebuild, recover, build back better and in a meaningful way for Australians and, and people globally and all these issues that are going to be so important around housing, education, health, well-being, equality, that impact investing is setting out to help solve. So there's some great opportunities here for, for that in the coming years. Good stuff. All right. And we'll put a link to the report and to Ria on the podcast webpage. All right, I'll let you go, Simon. Thank you very much. Great, John. Thank you. Thank you.